Sports Pen with you in ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops here and delighted to have you along as we've made it to Tuesday in our second day of the month here on ESPN-UP. And we're delighted to be joined by John Michael Hoefling of ABC10. He's kind enough to lend us his time and be on air to co-host today's show with us. What's going on, Mike? Not much, man. Not much, man. Just getting through, you know. Doing uh, doing my best in this crazy world we live in right now, and uh, hopefully we can get through it. Uh, crazy is one way to describe it. It is just, I, I tell you what, man, I am coming to you today exhausted, both mentally, emotionally, physically, I guess, in a, every sense, really, and I know that's non-exclusive to me with everything going on. Uh, to be honest with you, Mike, and to be honest with the listeners, I'm going to do my darndest to <laughs> get through today because... I didn't sleep last night. I, I did go to bed, but I didn't go to sleep. And, you know, there's just a lot weighing you right now with everything going on. And I, shoot, I, I do want to have a conversation where I can put into words eloquently, or at least where I feel like I'm saying what needs to be said about the situation in this country. I'm not going to do that today, though, just because I, <laughs> my brain feels fried, man. I'm a little frazzled and, uh, uh, I, I, let's do that tomorrow. I think we're going to have that conversation tomorrow. But, man, today I think we uh, we can give the world a little bit of an escape, talk about some sports, what's going on, because yeah, there's actually quite a bit going on in regards to football, both the NFL level and college. We know the college opener is going to be postponed at least a week. Plus, I've got five quarterbacks in the NFL. Are they going to have a breakout or a fakeout sophomore season? And ESPN came out with their top 50 Major League Baseball players. And speaking of 50, that's how many games baseball is looking at playing approximately for the upcoming season. All that and more over the course of next hour here on ESPN-UP. Michael, what I want to start with, though, you know what the 10-year anniversary is today? What, what we have the anniversary of? Tiger fans sure know what it is. 10-year anniversary, so 2010, what happened in 2010? Um, no, 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 you got to let me know what it is. What is it? It was Armando Galarraga's imperfect, perfect game, mm, the perfect game yes. that was not because of a blown call by umpire Jim Joyce. And I watched that video early today, and I'm just like, man, I don't I, – I, and again, I, to this day, I still give Galarraga a ton of credit because I would not have handled that nearly as well as he did but i do know that they're looking at trying to go back and change that i mean I, it's obviously the right call and i would like to see him get credit for that perfect game but are you a fan of that where you can go back and kind of erase history in a way or say like change it in a sense? no no i mean obviously he deserves the perfect game but i'm not a fan of going back and erasing history i'm not a fan of going back and doing that in any sport I mean, there was the whole thing with the Saints debacle with the Rams and Mikel Roby Coleman where they wanted to go back and change the results of that game. They wanted to go back and replay it. And it's just – it's too slippery a slope, in my opinion. Because what about a missed call that would have won the Mets game? And then, hold up, maybe they make it to the playoffs and suddenly they want to run. So should we replay that? I mean, it, it's, too, it's too much of a – it allows too much. It opens too much up for questioning. And yes, Galarraga deserves the perfect game. We all know he does. And everybody knows he does. So what's the difference in officially giving it to him? See, everybody knows he deserves it. And everybody who remembers the game. I mean, I remember that game better than I remember some perfect games. <laughs> like, who's, 
who's the last person to throw a perfect game? Uh, it's a good question. Exactly, but we all remember Armando Galarraga. Mm-hmm. We all remember that 26th out, probably should have been 27, but Miguel Cabrera had to play a ball that was meant for the second baseman. And I, re- I remember exactly how it went down, beat by half a step. I don't remember the batter, but I remember exactly what the play looked like. And so I remember that way better than anything else. And I'll remember it for way longer than any other perfect game, aside from maybe Dallas Braden and Matt Kane, because that happened in the Bay Area where I'm from. So I, I see your point. I, feel about it. I see your point. I tell you what, this is why I like posing these questions to you, Michael, because I would be somebody that I'd just say, yeah, he deserved it, so I'd probably immediately vote to give it to him. But your thought process you take me through, you're kind of like a Supreme Court judge in a way. Have you ever been told that before? Like, man, I don't want to set precedent. You know? <laughs> You've never been told that? I don't know. But, man, you, you go about it very judicial-like. Like, I don't want to set precedent even though I know this is kind of what it should be. It could set a dangerous precedent, and I don't want that. Like, it's very judicial, your thought process. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I tell you I what. I appreciate that. Well, that was uh, one of the big news, um, one big piece of news, or anyway, that we remember 10 years ago, Jim Joyce costing Armando Galarraga his perfect game. You know, what else is, uh, is you know, at least giving me a little bit of hope here, Michael, or at least being a distraction for me and give me something to look forward to. We are 100 days away from a new NFL season. 100 days from now, we will be kicking off the new NFL season when the Houston Texans visit the Kansas City Chiefs. It feels like it can't come soon enough, and I just hope and pray that we're in a better situation as a country and as a world by then. College football, we know, is going to be delayed just a little bit due to COVID-19. You know how they have these week zero matchups lately where, you know, everybody starts in week one, but then they have one matchup that starts a week ahead of everybody else, and that's like the kickoff for college football and all eyes are like on the that. Hall of Fame game a little for, bit for the NFL it's like that equivalent yeah now. yeah exactly last year it was Miami against Florida in that turnover filled game well this year it was supposed to be Notre Dame and Navy and they were going to play that game in Dublin they announced this morning that that game is not going to be played in Dublin and I don't think that was a surprise to anybody so they are moving that game which is by the way the third longest uninterrupted continuous rivalry in all of college football, and they're moving it to Navy's home stadium in Annapolis. And I, I don't know if this stat is interesting to anyone else other than me, Michael, but this will be the first time in Notre Dame Navy's history, and they've met every year since 1927, this will be the first time they've actually played at the Naval Academy's campus. They play a home-and-home, home, but every time it's Navy's turn to home, they choose to play at a neutral site. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, so take that for what it's worth. So Notre Dame and Navy will not officially be the game that kicks off college football this year. They're moving that back a week to Labor Day weekend, but that's not going to be in Dublin, Ireland. I don't think a lot of us expected it to anyway, but that's kind of where we're at. Um, I tell you what, Mike, here I don't want to dig too far into some of our planned segments. I do have this list in front of me that I want to run by you. Because ESPN recently came out with their list of, well, ESPN in conjunction with Forbes came out with their list of the highest paid athletes in the world. And I've got the top 10 in front of me. And a lot of the sports that have athletes generating near the top in terms of revenue are sports where you're not doing that in America, like tennis and soccer. And I don't know if there's a story there. I mean, that's kind of one of those stats that just makes you say, hmm, like, 
that's interesting, but what's the angle? You well, know? something I noticed is that when I was looking at that list, all these sports that are more popular outside of America, the tennis and the soccer stars, they seem to make a lot more via endorsements than the players in America do. The players in America seem to be much more reliant on their base salary. That's what I noticed from that. Because isn't the top guy, Roger Federer, and he earns $100 million just via endorsements and has probably, what was it, like a $16 million salary, something? It was like one of the lowest of the top ten, if I remember correctly. He has a total net earnings of $106.3 million. How much of that is via endorsements? Because I remember looking at that list. It is almost all of it, I think, is via endorsements. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember. So I just think that that's a weird angle that we can sort of look at, that they don't pay their athletes as much. It's like tipping at restaurants, mm -hmm. right? They don't pay them as much, but they're expected to get endorsements and stuff like that. So they earn their, I guess, uh, earned salary. They earn their living via more endorsements and commercials and sponsors, I guess. Well, I tell you what, I've got the top ten here in front of me. I'll give that to you here quick, Michael. There's an obvious outlier here, and I don't think you're going to have much trouble picking it out, but who surprises you here in this top ten of the world's highest-paid professional athletes? Starting from number one. I think one, I know who it is. Yeah, I bet you do. Working down uh, from number one to number ten, Roger Federer, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Neymar, LeBron, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Tiger Woods, Kirk Cousins, and Carson Wentz. Yeah, um, the one that sort of sticks, I mean, two of them sort of stick out to me there, but the one that really sticks out is Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Is that the one yeah. you were hoping? Yep, yep, that was what I was going with. Uh, man, he's always going to get this reputation as a guy who probably is not going to get the respect that he deserves. And you know what? He's not a bad quarterback. He's an above-average quarterback. But he's always going to have that moniker, that stigma, if you will, about him because of the contract that he was paid that, you know, the Vikings gave him that much money to be a slightly above average quarterback, not an elite quarterback. So he's a good enough quarterback. I mean, he's a he's an above average quarterback in the NFL. Is there a case, Mike, for Kirk Cousins to be a top 10 NFL quarterback? He's top 15 for sure. Yeah, I'd say that there is a case for him to be a top 10 quarterback, but in order for him to do that, he needs to do what Case Keenum did, and that's lead them to a 13-3 record and lead them to an NFC championship game because guess what? Kirk Cousins came in and everybody was like, oh, my God, the Vikings, they're NFC favorites. And he couldn't – he hasn't even led them to a 12-win season. I think the best they've been is 11-5. and five. And with Kirk Cousins, they were two uh, with Case Keenum, excuse me, they were two games better. So until he can do until he can do something that he was expected to do, which is make the team better than they were, because that was the one thing holding them back was quarterback, and this was the guy that was going to change the franchise. And he's had a couple good playoff wins. I mean, he's beaten the Saints I don't know how many times now, but that's not enough at this point. I it's not enough. You are giving – you're nicer to Kirk Cousins than I am here because I'm wondering what he needs to do to shed that reputation of, yeah, he's a pretty good well, quarterback, but he's overpaid. Like, I almost feel like he needs to get at least to one Super Bowl, and that might not be enough. I don't think that he needs to get to uh, a Super Bowl per se. You can – you don't have to go to a Super Bowl to be considered a very good quarterback. Lamar Jackson is still considered a very good quarterback. I know that's because he's still very young and whatnot, but 
even if he doesn't make a Super Bowl. Um, but it's I the still money. think he, it's he's the money looked at very paid. well. That's true. That's true. That's true. And I look at Kirk Cousins the same way I look at Bryce Harper, where <laughs> I, I do, I do, legitimately, where I don't think Bryce Harper is bad. I just think he's severely, severely, severely overpaid because of the hype that was around him, because he could pass for four, for 4,500 yards, because he did so much with limited weapons in Washington. And although I don't think that weapons mean that much in an NFL offense, it's all about the quarterback making the weapons rather than the other way around. Um, he just hasn't been that for Minnesota. He's been given all the tools necessary besides maybe a strong left tackle, but I think Riley Reef has been fine on the right side to limit the necessity for a left tackle. But nonetheless, he hasn't been enough. Mm. That's the point I'm trying to make. Just like how Bryce Harper hasn't been enough with his contract, and he never will be. But just like Bryce Harper, I think Kirk Cousins has the ability to get to a position where he doesn't seem to be overpaid. And in that sense, I think you're right. I think Bryce Harper would need to win a, win a World Series for him to be not overpaid anymore. But for Kirk Cousins, I don't know. As long as Patrick Mahomes is around, as long as Drew Brees is around, as long as the 49ers defense is around, Russell Wilson, it's kind of hard to overtake those guys. Yeah. Baseball's a lot more fickle than football, so I'm willing to put Kirk Cousins a little bit of a step behind Bryce Harper where he doesn't need to get to a Super Bowl. He just needs to compete and prove that he can play at an elite level. You mentioned that there were two names that surprised you, uh, one more than the other, obviously, being Kirk Cousins, but two names that surprised you on Forbes' top ten of the richest athletes in pro sports. Was the other Carson Wentz? The other was, because he's basically been hurt for his career. (laughs) He was late with MVP season, but couldn't. I love Carson Wentz. I mean, so did Derek Carr, though. But... um, I love Carson Wentz. I think he's great. I think he's very talented. He's definitely a top five quarterback in the NFC, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, not worth that much. I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hopling with you. That takes us up to our first break, so we'll take it now when we come back. Mike and I are going to dissect ESPN's top 50 Major League Baseball players next on ESPN-UP. MBank offers sophisticated banking solutions to support your business. When you bank with MBank, we support you every step of the way, combining big bank resources with personal service and quick local decision-making that moves at the speed your business moves. MBank has helped a wide range of small to mid-sized businesses achieve success. Our experienced team makes it easy and convenient to help you grow. Let MBank design a personalized plan for your business's unique needs. MBank, community-focused, client-driven. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now back to the Sports Pen. Here's Tanner Hoop. Last week, ESPN came out with their list of the top 50 
Major League Baseball players. They even ranked them for us. So I want to go through these and get your thoughts on some of these. And we'll group them here for the first couple. We'll work, of course, as we do in sports pen fashion from the bottom and get our way to the top. But we'll group them here until we get toward the nitty-gritty. So let's start with the guys in 46th through 50th on ESPN's list of the best current Major League Baseball players. Number 46, Ozzie Albies of the Atlanta Braves. 47th, Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Indians. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers is 48th. Carlos Correa from the Astros, 49th. And Manny Machado with the Padres is number 50. Anybody in that group that either you feel like is too low, too high, or are you pretty pretty darn okay with that with that group? Clayton Kershaw's too low. Yeah. He's not what he that. once was. He's not what he once was, but he's still a darn good pitcher. He might not even be the best pitcher in his own rotation with Walker anymore but he's I mean he's a Cy Young contender every year still I would agree yeah I I think that he's such a difference maker that you just I don't think you can put him 48 you know that far uh down, there. Him down there because of injury issues I can understand that but even still I don't think his injury issues are that bad and the playoffs the playoffs I guess are really what's factoring into ESPN's list here I mean if the playoffs are the problem then I mean how many rookies are they going to have on there? Are they going to have Vlad Guerrero Jr. on this list who hasn't even been to the playoffs? <laughs> well, that there's drama in that. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, let's move on to the 41 through 45 group, according to ESPN. Number 41, Fernando Tatis Jr. from the Padres. There we go. Yep. There we go. <laughs> Number 42, Mike Soroka from the Atlanta Braves coming off a breakout year last year. Chris Sale of the Boston Red Sox at number 43. Kettle Marte, the Diamondbacks utility man, is at number 44. And then Yasmani Grandal, the new White Sox catcher, at number 45. What do you think about that group? Anybody misplaced? I've never been impressed with Yasmani Grandal. Really? He's a power hitter. Okay. Like, he's, not that, he's, he's an all-right defensive catcher. I mean, Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. In, terms, in terms of his offensive production, I know for a catcher, he's great. But, I mean, he's a catcher. We know the catchers aren't that good right now. So, Is it? Uh, I, think that that's, I think that's a little high for him. I'd probably move him just outside the top 50. And then the other guy, Cattell Marte, I'd probably have a lot lower. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was I mean, the one I was going to bring up. Didn't he lead the NL in hits last year? He might have. He might have. He was up there. I mean, he's a great player, but I don't know. He just doesn't scream as a whole body of work throughout his career as a top 50 player. For Cattell Marte? Yeah. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., that's one season, man. <laughs> so, I mean, for like, that's just the feeling I get. There's, there's some people in Major League Baseball that just have so much hype attached to them that they can't be a, – that they, that they have to be ranked higher for some reason despite either not playing several years, never making the playoffs, playing on really bad teams, and not putting up the numbers that they were even supposed to. Like – Fernando Tatis, he came in with so much hype, didn't even reach that hype from at least what I saw. Like, he had a good season, but not to the season everyone was suspecting, and still he's ranked 41st. I, I Some think, things like that just... I think you contribute a lot of that to injury. I do think if he stayed healthy, he probably would have won National League Rookie of the Year. Well, Pete Alonso, I guess, too, but... Uh, there, no, he Pete Alonso was insane, man. Tatis would have had a run record. I know. Yep, that's true. Um... Mike Soroka at number 42 is interesting after one really good year. And then Chris Sale yeah, at 43. Thing, that's just one bad year. Chris Sale has the <laughs> longevity of work, and now you're going to put Soroka ahead of him? 
Michael's already not a fan of this ESPN list. But once again, ESPN did rank their top 50 current Major League Baseball players, no, uh, numbers 36 through 40. Coming in at 36 is Brewers closer Josh Hader, 37th George Springer of the Astros, 38th Josh Donaldson from the Twins, 39th Mike Clevenger from the Indians, and 40th Shane Bieber also from the Indians. Anybody in that group stick out? I actually really like that group. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I yeah. think uh, you know Bieber's one of those guys that maybe he would be the question mark, but he is up and coming, and is he a top 40? Like, I don't know if I'd pick – Shane Bieber above Chris Sale right now, but other than that, I think it's a pretty good group. Yeah, I think Shane Bieber is the black wolf of that group, but I mean, all-star game MVP, he's had some really good moments, he's been to the playoffs, so yeah, I can see it. How about numbers 31 through 35? Coming in at number 31, J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox, Glaber Torres of the Yankees at number 32, number 33, Patrick Corbin of the Nationals, 34th, Shohei Atani from the Angels, and number 35, Marcus Simeon from the Athletics. Um, I don't know, man. I think J.D. I, Martinez, despite, you know, kind of falling off maybe a little bit the last couple of years, he's got the body of work to be there. Patrick Corbin's stock went up after last year, and I don't know what to make of Shohei Otani yet. Shohei Otani's another guy that has just been too injured too much. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about if we're going to get into the body of work argument, Again, but I don't want to. Yeah. Um, I think JD Martinez is still too low. Yeah. He hasn't had the same season, but he's still. I mean, you just look at the numbers. You just have to say the numbers, and you go, "Yeah, that's an elite hitter, not just a good hitter, an elite hitter." He was only top three in MVP voting as a DH, and that seems impossible. And like, I think that offense is by far way more important than defense in terms of a position player's value to a team and i know that statisticians look at it the same way war is definitely not determined by defense if that was the case kevin kiermeyer wouldn't have had a negative war last year <laughs> jackie bradley jr wouldn't have had an, uh, a slugging percentage in the single digits last year so while they might be great defenders they're definitely not uh, as valuable to their team as jd martinez is i mean he's one of he might be the best pure hitter in the league and 31 seems a little low for that. What do you think of Marcus Simeon at 35? Because you talk about defense, and Simeon just five years ago was the worst defensive shortstop in the league. Last year, he was a gold glove candidate. I mean, he he's made a complete 360 defensively. He's mm -hmm. always been okay, and he even he's progressed offensively here the last couple of years. But uh, I know he's peaking right now, but his overall body of work, I don't know about putting him at 35. I think that's accurate. You're going to keep him behind guys like J.D. Martinez and, I mean, Shohei Atani, for goodness sake, uh, after finishing third in MVP voting. I like that. All right. Uh, let's go to numbers 26 through 30. Again, this is ESPN's list of the best current Major League Baseball players. Number 26 of the Tampa Bay Rays is Blake Snell. 27th, Rafael Devers from the Red Sox. 28th, his Boston teammate Xander Bogarts. 29th, Jose Altuve. And number 30, Trevor Story. Man, Altuve was once considered one of the best players in the game, but you wonder if outside forces had anything to do with that. And ESPN, Probably. I think, taking that into consideration, they dropped him all the way down to 29th. Yeah, I would say that definitely has a little bit of play in it because let, let, let's be real, Tanner. If we were starting an MLB franchise today for just one year where we had one year to win a championship and you can build around Rafael Devers 
or Jose Altuve? Who are you picking, Tanner? Mm, yeah, I, oh man, I, I want to say Altuve, but I don't know. Like, it, it, he was an MVP candidate, but they were cheating. I mean, he knew it was coming, albeit they there's discrepancy as to how much Altuve was involved in it. Still, that's going to be a black mark on his resume forever going forward. Well, you know that I'm a big Barry Bonds fan, so yeah. I'll take Jose Altuve every day of the week. All right. I mean, uh, he, he's great, and we don't know how long that was going on. I mean, his MVP season, we don't even know if that, that stuff was going on. What do you think of Trevor's story at number 30? Uh, I like it. I, I like, I'd probably put him and Simeon closer to each other. I don't know if I'd put Simeon above Trevor's story, but, yeah, I mean, outside effects, course field. How much are we going to play into that? Also, Simeon's a better contact guy, a better runs batted in guy, but in terms of pure slugging, Trevor Story has the edge. So I, I, I like Trevor Story. I think he's great, but I think a 33, 34 would have been a better spot for him. We are moving into the top 25 on ESPN's list of the best current Major League Baseball players. Number 21, Javier Baez of the Chicago Cubs. Number mm -hmm. 22, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty. Number 23, JT Realmuto from the Phillies. Number 24, Chris Bryan of the Cubs. And number 25, Bryce Harper of the Phillies. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I knew you were. I thought Javi Baez was going to be the thing I was upset about there. Um, yeah, uh, Bryce Harper shouldn't be in the top 40. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know you're high on Real Muto, though. You like him at 23? I'm, I really like Real Muto. Yeah, yeah. Real Muto is the one, is the one catcher where he's good defensively. He's not great defensively. He can frame pitches a little better. He's no Salvador Perez or Buster Posey uh, or uh, Jan Gomes in that sense. But... He is definitely the best hitter. It's not even close when it comes to hitting for catchers. It's not even close. Average, speed, uh, on-base percentage, slugging. He doesn't hit as many home runs as Gary Sanchez or Yasmani Grandal, but in every other aspect, he is just better. He strikes out less. He's the best table setter possible. So it's just fantastic that the Phillies have found a guy who can get to second base just for Bryce Harper to not drive him in. It's incredible. What do you think of Jack Flaherty at number 22? I mean, I really only know him from last year's breakout season. I'm high on Flaherty. Okay. Uh, I, I think Flaherty's a pretty good guy. I think uh, uh, he sort of reminds me of that Carlos Martinez vibe, which, you know, another Cardinals pitcher, where he's going to have a great couple of years, but nobody's really going to know about him because the Cardinals always have great pitchers and they're always on a rotating pedestal unless you go back to Wainwright and Carpenter in the early 2010s, late 2000s. But they've constantly just had guys rotating who are really good. Jaime Garcia, Kyle Loach, a bunch of guys who just came in, did their business, and left. I mean, we're not even talking about Jordan Hicks anymore, and he could throw 107. And, yeah, so Flaherty's fallen under that same thing, where people, he's going to have, a, like, four good years, and nobody's going to really pay attention. But he's still really good. You just knocked me back to fifth grade by reminding me of Kyle Loesch, and I'm thinking of him pitching for the Minnesota Twins. Um, let's move into the top 20 spots, 16 through 20. Number 16, Steven Strasburg of the Nationals. Number 17, Freddie Freeman from the Braves. Number 18, Matt Chapman from Oakland. Number 19, Walker Buehler from the Dodgers. And number 20, Pete Alonzo from the Mets. What do you think about that group? Yeah, I mean... Uh, 
the name Walker Bueller just makes me think of Clayton Kershaw again because yeah. Clayton Kershaw was what forty eight. Um, Clayton Kershaw was forty eight. Yep. So they had almost similar stats last year. I know that there were a couple rates like strikeout rates and strikeout to walk ratio of uh, perhaps that Walker Bueller was a little bit further ahead, but not too much of a discrepancy to explain a jump in twenty nine places. You know, and I know a lot of it has to do with projection in next year. Kershaw's getting older. Bueller's moving into his prime. Things that I've seen thus far suggest that Kershaw's going to fall too off from where he was. And I don't think Bueller can get much better than where he was either. What about Pete Alonzo being at number 20? And then Matt Chapman's an interesting guy at 18. Matt Chapman's a platinum gold. Uh, he's a platinum glove winner. Mm-hmm. I mean... He's great offensively. He's no Nolan Arenado with the bat, but he's still one of the best offensive third basemen in the league. He's he's what Jose Ramirez was a couple of years, just without the speed and a better glove. Mm. So I, I can totally understand him being there. Pete Alonso, on the other hand, I still think his average is a little too low. He's a great power hitter, but bring that average up and we can start talking about top 20. I'd, I'd put him at about 30 right now, mm. but I still think he's – Let's do 11 through 15 here before we hit the commercial break. Number 11, Juan Soto of the Nationals. Number 12, Alex Bregman from the Astros. 13th, Anthony Rendon with the Angels. Number 14, Justin Verlander with the Astros. And number 15, Aaron Judge from the Yankees. Do you have a problem with anybody where they are in that group? Yeah, you haven't said Garrett Cole yet, but still Justin Verlander's name came up first. <laughs> I don't get why... I don't get why people always, like, Garrett Cole hasn't won a Cy Young. Uh, he, he did win one, but uh, he hasn't won one more recently than Justin Verlander. They continually put up similar stats, but Justin Verlander won more, won more recently. Won, they, I mean, uh, uh, hey, he's moving to Yankee Stadium. So if we're going to talk about projections, like Yankee Stadium is the worst for pitchers, and you're going to put Garrett Cole ahead of Justin Verlander. I, I don't get it, man. <laughs> Um, everyone else, though, Soto at 11, Bregman 12, Rendon 13, and Judge 15. You like that? Bregman's probably placed a lot lower because of the cheating. So yeah. uh, he's really good. He's probably a top five, but because of the cheating, they're putting him lower. So Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. We're going through ESPN's rankings of the top 50 current Major League Baseball players. We will get to the top 10, break those down from an individual standpoint after the commercial on ESPN-UP. There are big changes coming to auto insurance. You'll have options you've never had before. At Mast, making sure you understand your options is our specialty. Sure, we all want to save money, but protecting yourself, your family, and your future is our top priority. Navigating auto reform is easy when you have someone steering you in the right direction. That's Vast. Vast is a proud provider of auto owners insurance. Auto owners, the no problem people. Now back to the sports pen. Here's Tanner Hoop. Capitals assistant Reed Cashman is their next head hockey coach. Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross will miss the 2020 season due to a congenital, I think that's how you say it, congenital fusion in his spine. Ross will undergo surgery on Friday in an attempt to correct the potential career-ending issue. And I feel horrible for him, one of the best wideouts in football. And, shoot, he was going to be a big part of Clemson as they try to get back to 
the college football playoff. And finally, the U.S. government actively campaigned to make goldfish the most popular house pet in the late 19th century. The U.S. Commission on Fisheries received a shipment of Japanese goldfish in 1878 and decided to introduce a new pet into American society. At the program's peak, 20,000 goldfish were placed with homes any given year, and it was estimated that one in three Washington, D.C. families had a goldfish. Could you think back to a time, how nice would it be, Mike, if the government, what was on their plate right now was trying to make goldfish popular? Just seems like it'd be so good right now. Yeah, well, that was before the dawn of social media and the Internet and everything. So uh, we I don't know if we'll ever be able to go back to a time like that. But Hey, yeah. man, I, I give them credit, though. I mean, because even without social media, they did a pretty darn good popularity campaign yeah. here to make goldfish uh, a popular house pet. I mean, and, and have you ever had a goldfish as a pet? Like, that's tough to sell, man. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really well done. Yeah, I'm that. more of a dog person. I did have a couple of turtles once growing up. Oh, really? Nice. I did have turtles. Never had a, I had a hermit crab. It never came out of its shell. I never saw it. Like, the only times I saw it were when I was, like, cleaning its tank, and I had to put it, like, I had to put it somewhere else while I cleaned the tank. But that was it. All right. Well, I tell you what, we're getting into the top ten of ESPN's list of the current 50 best Major League Baseball players. We'll break down the top ten individually. Number ten. Francisco Lindor by the Cleveland Indians. Do you believe, Michael, that he is the 10th best player in baseball right now? He's around there. Yeah. yeah. I know he had a down year last year, but nothing suggests that that wasn't a fluke. So. And he, uh, wasn't, he wasn't being protected in the order. I mean, Jay Ram took almost half the season off. and Yeah, I'm okay with Lindor being put at number 10 here. Still a good player. Great player. Number nine, Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies. I mean, if you're going to put him there, I think Anthony Rendon needs to be right next to him. Okay. So it's not a problem with Nolan Arenado. It's a problem with where they put Anthony Rendon. And for the record, Rendon is number 13. Arenado comes in at number 9. Number 8, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. Not a long enough tenure in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, yeah. Probably. I mean, uh, he... He's obviously fantastic, though. He's probably top ten in raw talent, but he hasn't done it long enough that I want to say he's the eighth best player in baseball right now. He could be, could very well be. I just don't know that he's done it at a high enough level to get that kind of acclaim yet. I think he's done it at a high enough level, just not for a long time at this point. Right, right. Number seven, Max Scherzer, Mad Max of the Washington Nationals. He needs to be higher. Yeah. I swear, I swear, if Degrom is higher than, I mean. DeGrom's obviously higher than him because he's going to be on this list, but Scherzer and DeGrom need to be right next to each other, and I'd still put Scherzer just ahead because Scherzer always leads in every category except for ERA, and that's what people care about. So, Number six, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers. They put him Too behind low. a Dodger teammate. Yeah, Mookie Betts is probably like three or something. He's or four. actually number five. We're going to get to him next. Oh. So Mookie and Cody are five and six, represent the Dodgers. I'd put Cody higher. I'd put Cody at three or four. Okay. Number four, Christian Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers. I'd put Yelich at two. Okay. Number three, Jacob DeGrom from the Mets. I'd put seven. Seven. Yeah, he's got to be closer to Scherzer. Number two, Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. I'd put him at 
14, 15. Why, why is it that, you know, and for our listeners who missed it, you kind of touched on it before the break, but why is it that you don't believe Cole is a top, you know, the top pitcher that ESPN is ranking right now? He should be more like the 14th overall best player. Well, I mean, when you think of the best pitchers in baseball right now, DeGrom, Scherzer, and Verlander are the three that come up. Garrett Cole, does, uh, he doesn't come up for me at least. And if we're talking about projections, projecting who the 50 best players in baseball are going to be, then we're talking about a guy who, statistically speaking, was around the same level as those guys and is now going to a, a ballpark that is historically atrocious for pitchers. It's got walls that are way closer. It made Didi Gregorius a power hitter for a couple of years. And you're moving to a division that has guys like Vlad Guerrero Jr., that has guys like J.D. Martinez. Instead of, like, obviously he was facing Mike Trout a lot more, but a better stadium. And that was in a division that also had guys like Joey Gallo. That's where you can rack up the strikeouts and stuff like that. So uh, it doesn't look good for his projection. He's a great pitcher, but I'd put him as, like, the fourth best pitcher in Major League Baseball. I wouldn't put him as the number one guy, especially not the number two player in all of baseball. If I'm putting on my persuasion hat and you're putting on your persuaded hat, and I'm pitching you the argument that it's because of the big game dominance, like what we saw from uh, Garrett Cole during the playoffs last year. That's the reason he's that high, because he's the guy that dominates the big game. And I think that's why Clayton Kershaw is all the way down at 48, because he does the opposite. Would you would you be able to buy that train of thought? No, because the Grom is number five or because the Grom is number four or three. Mm -hmm. The last time DeGrom was in a big game. Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> All yeah, right. So, yeah. I mean, if, if that's if that's the argument, I mean, Max Scherzer's been in a lot of big games. Max Scherzer just won a World Series. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to put – but he's not good enough in big games to be up there with DeGrom. And... All right. Fair enough. I'm thinking about this. Fair enough. No, I, I, I get your argument. The number one player in baseball, according to ESPN, is Mike Trout. I know you're a big Mike Trout guy. You love you some Trout. Yeah. Trout is Trout is the Mahomes of the MLB. If you don't think that Trout is number one, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> like it's so obvious. Like here's something I did a couple of years ago, where I was writing an article doing my classic thing about why I don't like Bryce Harper, and in this article I put together the highest cumulative WAR for three years prior to the 100 biggest contracts in Major League Baseball history, and Barry Bonds signed a contract. That was unprecedented at the time. It was enormous, and it was right right after you know his big four year stretch of 2001 to 2004, where he you know ate balanced breakfasts and added kale to his diet. And Mike Trout was better than Barry Bonds was during those four years, mm. and that's saying something. Yeah. That's saying a lot in terms of pure WAR, which is what a lot of people think is the best statistic for determining a player's value. Mike Trout was above. Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. That's insane. And Mike Trout wasn't even in his prime back then. And was he using steroids? Yeah, I mean it's crazy. I mean there were there were some rumors, but I mean, but uh, shoot, I tell you what. Um, so yeah, that is ESPN's right? list of the top fifty current players in Major League Baseball. And speaking of which, Michael, I did a segment yesterday that just. <laughs> Now it looks completely useless. Yesterday I did a segment. I gave my predictions for all six Major League Baseball divisions for the upcoming season should we have it. And then about 9 o'clock last night, Jeff Passan, our ESPN baseball insider, reported that 
the teams have pretty much agreed that if we do get something going this year that yeah, they're going to only have three divisions and they're going to have 10 teams in each division. I thought, okay, well, there goes my work from today kind of goes out the window. So just pretty much are going to merge the American League Central and uh, National League Central into one big Central Division, American League East, National League East will be one East and so forth. Um, but man, they are talking now about reducing the regular season to 50 games instead of the proposed 80-something or even 114 like the players said. The players' proposal is I it's not going to pass. There's no chance the league is going to go for it. But I don't know what to believe right now, Michael. I do think that we're starting to get onto the track where we will have baseball. I'm starting to believe that we will have a season, but I don't know what we're looking at as far as games. Like, will we get the owner's 50-game proposal? Will the players get, you know, as many as they won't get 114, but will they get more than 80? I mean, that's kind of the happy medium. I don't know what to believe in terms of how many games is realistic right now. I would love a 54-game season. Would you? I'd love it. And, and because it, it would make every single game feel super, super, super important. Yep. Like one really hot team could just become a dark horse, and all of a sudden we could see, oh my gosh, the Miami Marlins are in the playoffs somehow. Maybe they don't deserve it, but I mean, if they're the hot team, I'd love to see that. And I do think it's a little bit short. I do think 54 games isn't enough, but I'd, that's the big problem with baseball, right? Everybody's like, the games don't mean anything. So give them one year where it's just every single game is important. What are you going to do about it? Give everybody one year of that and see how it relates. And maybe, maybe this 54-game season could be the pathway to shortening the season to, say, 114 games for the foreseeable future. And that, I'm glad you brought that up because this is baseball's chance to be relevant again. And you know what? If it's going to be an asterisk year, embrace that asterisk and experiment a little bit. And, you know, there are people who say they don't watch regular season baseball. They watch the playoffs because those games mean something. But you don't feel like, or at least I do, I, there are some casual fans who don't feel like tuning into a game in July because it doesn't matter. You know, you're excited for opening day and you're excited when the pennant race is coming down to a full heat. But I mean, that, yeah, there's, I mean yeah, there's a lot of people that don't care about regular season baseball. This forces you to care if the season is that short at yeah. 54 games. Yeah, and I 100% get that argument. I mean, as a Giants fan, the Giants were 40, were 40 and 44 at the 2010 All-Star break, won the World Series. The Nationals were 19 and 31, won the World Series. So a lot of those games early on don't mean much, if I'm being honest. Like, you, when you get to the second half of the season after the All-Star break, that's when things really start picking up, in my opinion, for casual fans. That's when I think they get into it. And that's only 80 games. So I think that that's where MLB really makes their money in terms of viewership and in terms of people in attendance and fans hoping for a great season this year. Some teams already have their season loss at that point, but not everybody. It's that old adage, you can't win a championship in the first couple of months of the season, but you certainly can lose one. And that's, that's kind of what we might be embracing with a potential 54 game season, something like that. And I wonder if, mm -hmm. you know, it probably would be 54 because if the proposal goes through where we have three divisions of 10 teams each, you what play everybody else in the division six times, nine teams, six uh, games against each. And I'm imagining they're going to have to play, you know, if they're doing a three game series, you can do a double header and the next day play a single game and then move on. And then, host them the next time around like do a home and home that sense 
that might be the feasible route, the easy route for baseball if they want to go that way. Well, I'm, I'm confused by that because if it's only a 54-game season, they want the season, or at least the MLBPA's uh, argument said that they want the season to end on Halloween, have the playoffs in November, and the season would start, you know, beginning of July. So that's four months to play 60 games. Hmm. And I feel like you could spread that out way more at that point then. Uh, you could. You probably could. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, can you imagine? Minnesota's going to be a good team this year. I mean, I think the Twins will make the playoffs. Um, oh, they will. Yeah. Doesn't how many games? Doesn't matter how many games there are this season. The, the Twins are making it. Playoff baseball in Minnesota in November. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> when was the last? Was the last time there was a game in November? Was that two thousand one? Could have been. Could have been, but. Either or, uh, that is what we're looking at for baseball. Is we really don't know what we're going to look at in terms of how many games are played this year. Here is your stat of the day, though. The last time that no Major League Baseball team played at least 100 games in a season, 1882. That's 1882, not 1982. 1882 was the last time no Major League team played at least 100 games in a single season. Take that for what it's worth. I mean, that's one, another one of those stats, Mike. You're just kind of like, hmm, like, what do I do with it? It's interesting, but hey, what do I do with it? I mean, I get it. And I feel like that's what every statistic is now, right? It's, you know, the last time the uh, NFL draft didn't happen at a, at a uh, neutral venue was whatever, right? I feel like that's what all the stats are becoming now because of what's going on. I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, John Michael, hopefully with you. Let's take our last time out. When we come back, let's switch gears and we'll check on the NFL. Five quarterbacks, will they have a breakout sophomore season or will it be a fakeout sophomore season? We'll tell you why or why not next on ESPN UP. For now, the buffets are on hold at your local market, Big Boy. But that means you get to rediscover their awesome daily menu for dinner tonight. The classic Big Boy, the super Big Boy, or a burger built by you. The sandwich selection includes all of your favorites, including the famous Slim Jim. A full kids menu is also available, so bring the family for dinner tonight. Big Boy is following all safety protocols, so wear your mask until you're seated. Your local market, Big Boy, across from the Holiday Inn, with curbside takeout and DoorDash also still available at your local market, Big Boy. Now back to the sports pen. Here's Tanner Hoops. Website or get our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Tanner Hoops joined by John Michael Hopling of ABC10. And I do want to get to this quarterback segment. Five sophomore NFL quarterbacks that are poised for either a breakout or a fakeout season. First, though, Michael, you know, we've been talking about, you know, how tired you and I are today. And, again, I was just yeah, – I know you're working. You're doing your due diligence. I am just – I'm stressed and upset about where the world is and the problems that are going on with it. I got one hour sleep last night. But, uh, you know what, in a way, it was kind of worth it because – I, I, I realized I wasn't going to sleep, so I got up this morning around sunrise when I started to see sun coming in from behind the blinds, and I go out to my chair, and I start watching The Simpsons, but then I actually stopped watching The Simpsons, and if it's something that gets me to stop watching The Simpsons, which I'm binging right now, you know it's got to be pretty darn good, and there was a storm that came over. It just nicked the corner of Marquette, and thankfully we didn't get the hail that passed over just north of the city. And there was a storm that came over uh, down here in, you know, 
I'm right next to the ore dock, so I'm seeing the sunrise while I'm seeing lightning in the sky. And to me, it just looked really cool. Like the sunrise, the ore dock, and the lightning. Uh, that was pretty darn cool. I like that, you know, getting to see that going up there. I don't know. I, did you get a chance to see that? Or I wonder if any of our listeners did. I did not. Unfortunately, I, I mean, the, dude, you have a nice apartment, man. You, you're right on the water. You get to see that sort of stuff. I live on the bottom floor of an apartment complex. Blinds have to always be closed because people walk by all the time. So now I get a nice view of my parking lot. So that's what I get, unfortunately. Well, I appreciate it. Um, but I tell you what, uh, that was really cool to see. So I don't know. It's one of those miracles of nature, what have you. Five quarterbacks coming into their second year of their NFL careers. Will they have a breakout season or a fake-out season? Michael and I will discuss that. So, Michael, let's start with the obvious one on that list. Lamar Jackson, the reigning NFL MVP. Obviously, his team season was cut a little bit short than most people were anticipating with a loss to the Titans in the playoffs. But there's a lot of reason to think that Lamar most Jackson. Most people. Most people. Most <laughs> people. Okay, how about Who everybody? It? Who called it? What's that? Who was the one person who predicted the Titans in our, that, in our Okay, pool? fine, Michael. Okay, yeah, we got to give you credit where credit's due. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. <laughs> Tell you what. Moving on. Um, Lamar Jackson, though, there's a lot of reason to think that it should be smooth sailing once again for him. Barring injury, I don't see this being anything other than a breakout season for him. Um, I agree with you in that sense. I mean, this would be a junior season, right? Um, Just third year in the league? Technically, technically, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it should be another very good season for Lamar Jackson until people figure out his whole situation. I don't think it's going to be anything but smooth sailing. There's a chance people could have figured it out and learned a way to contain him, but he's more elusive than any other quarterback I've seen. So it's going to be way too difficult to do that. You throw in a really capable defense. I think they're paying Calais Campbell too much, but there's no doubt he still bolsters that defense. And even if Lamar Jackson doesn't have the season he just had, they're going to win their division. And that's a solid season for any team. It doesn't matter about the stats of the quarterback at that point. Well, and I should clarify that, Jackson, you're right. He is entering his technically third year as a starter, although he only started about half of uh, the games a couple of years ago. He was a full-time starter last year. This will be his second year as a full-time starter, which is why I included him in the sophomores category. Uh, They're going to be a little different Ravens team this year, though, Mike. Like last year, they ran a lot of three tight end sets. They were big up front. And uh, they're they're not as big up front. I don't know if they're less talented, but they're not as experienced up front. And they lose Hayden Hurst, so they're not going to be running those three tight end sets as much. Instead, they're investing more in guys in their backfield and just getting fast. You know, Gus Gus Edwards and uh, Justice Hill combined with Mark Ingram, and now you add J.K. Dobbins. It's going to be a different look for the Ravens this year. Instead of building a stone wall in front of Jackson, now you're going to have all kinds of speedsters in the backfield. What happened to Alex Collins? I don't he know. He was supposed to be really good. He disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, as long as it keeps working out for Lamar Jackson, it should be another breakout year for him. How about, this is a fun one, Michael, Ryan Tannehill, his second year with the Titans, of course, led his team to the final four in the NFL, and he got his new contract. That tends to not bode well for guys, and Honestly, unless you convince me or you feel differently, I'm kind of leading toward this being a fake-out year for Tannehill instead of a breakout year. Well, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who once said, there are only three things certain in life. Death, taxes, and the Tennessee Titans going 9-7. and seven. Uh, That sounds right? like something Benny Frank would say, yep. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's what he said. 
So the Tennessee Titans are going nine and seven this year. You can't convince me otherwise. It just it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like uh, Chris Davis batting two forty seven, the good one from Oakland. Yep. Um, the good one. It, it it happens every single year. It happens all the time. And nine to seven, it's not a good year. It's not a bad year. They could probably make the playoffs as a six or seven seed. And Ryan Tannehill showed that he can do great things in the playoffs. He can compete with Patrick Mahomes, which is something that not a lot of quarterbacks can say. He can compete with Lamar Jackson, which is something that not a lot of quarterbacks can say. He can lead the NFL in completion percentage. And when you can create an offensive system that allows a guy like Ryan Tannehill to just play his game, complete passes, move the ball downfield, that's a good thing for the team. Ryan Tannehill might not be the spark that they want him to be. He might not be that elite quarterback. But he can do what the Titans need him to do, and that's win games. Well, I mean, he, he does that with Derrick Henry as his primary weapon. I get it. That is one heck of a weapon. But they didn't build a whole lot around him this year. I mean, it, it's tough to repeat the season like I mean, he had. And I, I, I don't know. that To me, that just doesn't bode well. There's too many factors in the sense that it was a lackluster offseason offensively for the Titans. Plus, he just got his contract, and that tends to lead to a falloff in productivity. I mean, yeah, but think about it like this, too. Now we get a full year with him and A.J. Brown, and we know how that happened. I mean, A.J. Brown pretty much reached 1,000 yards in the last five games of the regular season last year. And now we get a full season of him together with Ryan Tannehill. That could be all the offense they need in terms of the passing game for this offseason. So are you saying? And I, know they lost, I know they lost Taylor Lewan, but uh, they've added a couple other guys. Uh, what, like, didn't they have Jack Conklin? I think mm. that's a good addition. Yeah. So, I mean, the offensive line is the second most important part of an offense to me. They lost Luan, added Conklin, so I'm okay with it. So, I guess in terms of breakout, fakeout, it might not apply for Tannehill here. Uh, let me put it this way to you. Do you think he's going to continue playing the way he did last year, or will he take a small step back? I think he'll take a small step back. He won't complete 75% of his passes, but if he completes 68%, then I think that that's still a solid season. That's definitely capable of 9-7 and seven and reaching the playoffs. Number three on this list, sophomore quarterbacks, will they have a breakout or fake-out NFL season for the upcoming year? I'm going to give you – I'm going to make a case here, first of all, before uh, before I get your thoughts on it, Michael, because it's Garner Minshew. And anyone who's a loyal <laughs> listener of this show knows how I feel about Minshew. There was a lot to like about him last year. 21 touchdowns yeah. compared to six interceptions. I mean, he, he, he was one of the – you know, and he led Jacksonville to all six of their wins. And he actually put together one of the better rookie quarterback campaigns last year. And he was a feel-good story. I'm not going to say that that came without problems, though. Because while he, you know, only threw six interceptions, he was responsible for 13 fumbles, including seven that the opponent recovered. Uh, he was not, he didn't have a great QBR. He was 26 out of 30 in QBR. And he wasn't good on third down. That was maybe the most glaring uh, glaring flaw on Gardner Minshew's game last year. He was just 32% on pass attempts for a first down on third down last year. And for comparison, that's just behind Devlin Hodges and just ahead of Case Keenum. Um, so you know Keep what? Company. <laughs> but you know what? There was a, there's a lot of reason to think the talent is there with Minshew. I don't think he's going to put up. I, I think he will take a step back this year, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be his fault because you've got a lame duck owner in Doug Mar uh, lame duck head coach in Doug Marone and David Caldwell, the general manager. Both of those guys are going to be gone. Leonard Fournette is going to be gone. They're putting Minshew in a position where he's going to have to be 
the best player offensively and without a weapon outside of DJ Chark and the biggest offensive upgrades, and, and I don't know if you can call them upgrades, that Jacksonville made this offseason were getting injury-prone players like Tyler Eifert and Chris Thompson. So I, I don't think their expectations are high for Jacksonville this year, and I think it's a shame because I think Garner Minshew is a special talent if you can build around him. And it's because of that reason. They're not building around him. They appear to be tanking that I'm going to say it is a step-back year for Garner Minshew. Yeah, Take a look at ratios. Gardner Minshew was one of the best rookie quarterbacks last year, right? He was better than Kyler Murray. He was better than um, pretty much. I mean, he was way, he was better than Daniel Jones. He was he was better than pretty much everybody. But but Gardner Minshew lost those fumbles, right? So if you can, can if you can control that a little bit, I think he gets way better. Now, like you said, Doug Money isn't exactly the coach that's going to expand his talents and whatnot, but. I also think that Leonard Fournette isn't the player that everybody thought he was going to be. I think we've seen enough of him at this point where we're realizing he's not the running back we all thought. So if Doug Maroney can take a look at that and go, maybe we shouldn't build this offense around Leonard Fournette. Maybe we, we should work to expand Gardner Minshew instead. Then that could lead into something. Building a system that relies on the connection between Chark and Minshew as well as Tyler Eifert becoming a receiving option and not using him too much in the past in the, in the past blocking game, I think that could become something. So, um, but because of the lack of talent, I agree with you in the sense where statistically, I don't think he's going to have that great a year. But this could be a great year for his development. It would be awesome for the if for the game as a whole if the Mustache King can continue to find a way, the Jaguar King can continue to find a way to be one of the better feel-good stories in football. Couple more here on our list of NFL potential breakout or potential fake-out quarterbacks in their second year as a starter. Kyler Murray. Honestly, I'm really high on him, Mike, this year. The Vegas odds say that he could contend for the MVP. I think he is the third-best mm -hmm. odds, according to Vegas. I, I really think this is going to be a fun year to watch Kyler Murray, especially with Kingsbury and with DeAndre Hopkins being there now. I think it's going to be a really fun year for Kyler Murray. Yeah, I think it's going to be great, too. The only thing that busts my chops on him is his offensive line. I don't know if he has a single player on that entire offensive line who is a legitimate star, who is a legitimate great pass blocker, and they use this uh, most recent draft to bolster the defense, which is fine. I really like that move because Kyler Murray still provided a lot of spark on offense, and we know that a full year of Kenyon Drake and a full year of DeAndre Hopkins is going to do that same thing. So, moving to bolster the defense will be good. But if he gets sacked too often, that can be the one thing that leads them to their downfall. Uh, I'd say that he's definitely an MVP candidate, but I still think he's a couple years away from winning that division. It's probably the toughest division in football. They have four legitimate playoff contenders if Sean McVay can find his magic again. So uh, I don't think he can win the MVP if he doesn't win the division, but he'll have a great year. Nonetheless. Yep, yep, absolutely. And uh, finally, here, last one here before we run out of time. This might be our most interesting one, Mike. Josh Allen. What kind of years he Ooh, could have. Oh, you left out Drew Locke. I, I, I have some interesting Okay, well, Drew we could throw in Drew Locke. But you want to talk about Josh Allen first? Yeah, let's do them both here in our final couple minutes. All right, well, Josh Allen, uh, I, I'm not too high on him because of his completion percentage. But if they work around that, if they utilize an offense that doesn't require him to complete as many passes, they use his athleticism more so than his arm. He could be fine. He could totally lead an offense. But I think that's underutilizing Stephon Diggs. But you got to do what would get you wins, right? That's all that matters. 
All right. What do you think of Josh Allen? You know, I don't know what to think of him right now. I wasn't high on him coming out of the draft. Last year he looked like the second-best quarterback from that draft, and I just get the feeling that there's going to be sour relations between him and Stephon Diggs. I don't think Stephon Diggs has a better quarterback right now than he did in Minnesota. I just I think there's a lot of reasons that – I think he doesn't have a, a better pure quarterback. Okay. And a pure thrower. But in terms of just success and ability to manage an offense, I think Josh Allen can be up there with Kirk Cousins. All right, fair enough. I, you know, I, I just see that locker room being so tumultuous, the way that Diggs left Minnesota, and there's so much pressure, and it's coming down from Jim Kelly and ownership that if they don't win the division this year, in his own words, then something is really wrong. And to me, that's staring right at Josh Allen. I, I'm going to say that it's going to be – not a total fake out, but I, I think it could be a step back for Josh Allen. And then real quick, how about Drew Locke? What do you think? Uh, you know, and he started half the year last year. He was encouraging in a small sample size. Yeah. Well, I mean, he might be whiter than a tissue, but he ain't nothing to sneeze at. I mean, the <laughs> franchise QB, he's ready to be that. Right? It's evidence that the Broncos haven't been up there in terms of competence. But just watch this year. It's time to fear the Denver Bronco brethren. All right? It doesn't matter what Fangio drew up. Look at how Drew Locke's going to grew up. They call him mile high because that's how, how far Drew Locke's gun blew up. All right? I like the Chiefs. Now, don't get me wrong. But I won't be shocked when, come December, Denver's got that division on. Locke. Wow. I can't believe that just took place here on the show. First of all, I don't think that's why they call it Mile High Stadium, but thank you. That was interesting. And what was your, <laughs> what was your analogy you started things off with? Uh, he's whiter than a tissue, but nothing to sneeze at. What does that mean? Uh, it means you don't scoff at him. You don't go, Pfft. I mean, look at him. He's nah, whiter he's than a tissue? Yeah, but uh, you don't sneeze at him like you would sneeze at a tissue. We, we are not opening that can of worms here right now. But you know what? I'm going to say Drew Locke does take a step forward this year. They had a great draft offensively, got a bunch of weapons. Plus, Pat Shermer's going to be his offensive coordinator. I really think it's going to be a fun year for Drew Locke. I'm excited to see what he does in Denver. With that. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a spectacular MVP candidate for sure. MVP candidate, really? He's number five on my list of MVP candidates. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going to get into that list next week because that's something in of itself I do want to break down with you. It sounds interesting. We are out of time today, unfortunately. I really appreciate you coming on in the midst of everything going on, your hectic work schedule and everything. And you, you got anything at ABC 10, anything that's coming up we should know about? <laughs> We're thinking about starting another bracket um, that we did. I mean, the team of the year bracket was a huge smash hit for us. So we're thinking about starting a new bracket that involves just purely athletes, who they think the best, who our viewers think the best athlete was in the entire Upper Peninsula this past season. So we're thinking about doing that. But aside from that, nothing's really going on right now. We're only a couple weeks away, I feel like, from really getting back into the swing of things in terms of being able to see people and interview people. So hopefully in a couple weeks I'll be able to get a little bit more news for you in terms of what we're going to be doing. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing what you bring out over there. Once again, thanks for being with Mike and I. We enjoyed it. We hope you did too. I'm back on tomorrow, and I promise I'll be more rested, and we will have that conversation that we need to about what's been going on in this country. That's tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. For John Michael Hofling, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming, Marquette.